One of the things that I'm thankful to the Lord for is our church. I have the freedom to talk as long as I need to talk. And as a teacher, it helps with my preparation. It helps me to really teach because I don't teach for you to just fill the blank and say, okay, I went to church today. I teach so that you may go away with something. And that takes a lot of effort. And Christ is the most important person that you ever know in all of eternity. And we only get one chance during the week to get together as a body of Christ to talk about him. And yet we are supposed to be talking about him every single day. Christ is just too glorious. He is the most beautiful person. His name is the most beautiful name that we ever, ever pronounce from your mouth. Ever, ever. There's no beautiful name that beats Christ. It's just so glorious. We have a ministry at the nursing home. And after I've taught them a lot of things, I remind them that if you forget everything, just remember Jesus Christ. Just call Jesus. That's all there is to it. All this other thing, we're just explaining things. But salvation is in Christ. It's in that name. His name is Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. It's in Jesus. The salvation is of the Lord. In Genesis 38, 1 to 30, I intend by the Lord's grace to share the gospel of grace from it. You probably have read this story many times, Judah and Tamar, and may not have seen some of the things that the Lord will show you tonight, that this story was testifying of Christ and the righteousness of the gospel in a way that you may never have thought about. So I pray that the Lord will really bless you with the teaching that he has given me from this story. It almost needs a part two, but we'll see when the Lord will give me opportunity to do that. So let's go to Genesis 38, verses 1 to 30. And I like to read my text because a lot of people, they don't read. A lot of churches, everybody is on a time crunch. Everybody seems to be hurried. And we can't do that. If we have to seek the Lord's blessing, we need to slow down some. When it comes to the things of Christ, you need to slow down. You need to hear him. When you pay attention, you slow down. He talks to you. He will show you things that are hidden, that are right in there. So this is what the word of the Lord says in Genesis 38, 1 to 30. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. I'm reading from the New King James. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shur, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Kezib when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and the name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass, 
when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. Verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shur, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. Verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young god from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside a veil and put on the garments of a widowhood. And Judah sent the young God by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young God, and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and stuff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give to her Shelah my son. And he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth, that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. The title of our sermon is Judah, Tamar, and the Gospel. An alternative title would be, Who Set Tamar Free? Who Set Tamar Free? And, and this is a gospel message, and the Bible is a gospel book. 
So we work our understanding of the story that we have just read to see how God preached the gospel from this story. And of course, as you have been reading, this is a very earthy story, very depraved story. But God deals with the earthy and the fallen people, sinful people, to his glory. Sin has always been God's servant for the glory of Christ. If anybody asks you, a lot of people struggle with explaining sin this and that. It's easy. Sin is God's servant for the glory of Christ. That's the proper way to say it. So the gospel is not a new story that came with the New Testament. As we read from Apostle Paul in Romans 16, he says, his gospel is according to the revelation of the mystery. Mystery does not mean something that cannot be understood. The Greek word there is masterion. It means something that was hidden, but now has been revealed to the initiated. You have to be initiated into the gospel of grace to understand it. Because Christianity is a revealed religion. You just don't wake up and decide to come to Jesus. God has to reveal Christ to you. God has to draw you. He has to give you a new birth. He has to make you alive and bring you into the mystery of the gospel. So Apostle Paul says this mystery of the gospel had been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God. So the scriptures that we read right from Genesis are a manifestation of the gospel of grace. So God has been preaching this gospel right from the beginning. And we are going to go to the chapter to develop the story so that we may have understanding, so that I may point your thinking and understanding to the nuggets that help you to start seeing what God was teaching from the story. Verse 1 of Genesis 38. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. It came to pass, if you are familiar with the writing of Apostle John, would be the equivalent of John Apostles after these things. John is very fond of saying, after these things, then Jesus did this. So it came to pass at that time. Judah and his brothers had attempted to kill their brother Joseph, if you still remember, because of the glory of the dreams that Joseph had. But by God's providence, they ended up selling Joseph to the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, who were merchants who were going to Egypt, who sold Joseph to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer. And it was after these things that Judah visited his friend, the Adulamite. And it was then also that he got his wife, who was a Canaanite, a Gentile, with whom he had three sons. Verses 3 to 5, Genesis 38. So she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Er, 
Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Kezib that she bore him. And we are told that Judah took a wife for his oldest son, Er. But he was a wicked man. Er was a wicked man. So the Lord killed him before he had any children. And according to this culture, if a situation like this had happened, then the younger brother was supposed to take his brother's widowed wife and try to raise children for him who would become heirs. Very important. But as younger brother, Onan, knew that the children that he would have with his brother's wife would not be his, and so he was not pleased with the idea of raising children for his brother. He thought he had hijacked God's plan, but God killed him for something that none of us would think God would kill anybody for. Why would God kill someone for that? What business of God is that? And yet it was God's business because Christ is involved in it. God had a huge stake in this story. And so he said to Onan, not that fast young man. You're not going to do that. You're going to get killed if you play with me. And to try and preserve the life of his last son, Judah is seeing what God is doing. He has lost two of his sons already. God has killed both of them. So to try and preserve the life of his last son, Judah sent Tamar back to her father under the pretext that Judah's youngest son, Shelah, was still young. So Tamar obliged and went back to be with the parents. Apparently, Judah also had a daughter with his wife. And this daughter died. And after the time of mourning, we are told Judah thought to visit his sheep shearers at a place called Timna in the company of his Adulamite friend, Hira. And the way to Timna was in the same direction as where Tamar's parents lived. And as Judah was passing by, the people in the village recognized him. Apparently, they knew him. And they told Tamar and said to Tamar, verse 13 to 15. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. When Judah, the father-in-law, saw Tamar, he thought she was a harlot. Why? How? Because Tamar covered her face and disguised herself as a worker of the night. So the covering of one's face was the telltale sign that one was a worker of the night in this time and place. But you think, put flesh and blood to this, you, you, you would have 
thought that is someone talking about Judah who was still mourning the death of his daughter. He would not have cared for a harlot. But Judah is a depraved man. And so he took her and slept with her. But all this is happening in God's sovereignty. God is working his sovereignty and purpose through the sinful inclinations of the fallen. For the end and purpose of glorifying his son, Jesus Christ. Genesis 38, 16 to 17. The pledge. So Judah turned aside to her by the rod and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law, and she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He said, Therefore, I will send you a young god from the flock. She said, Moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? So Judah approaches and makes an invitation and Tamar agrees. But Tamar sets a condition that Judah had to meet before anything could happen. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Tamar demands upfront payment. She is a wise worker. She is a wise worker. And Judah is agreeable to the request. Because this is how this kind of business is transacted. You need to make a down payment. And so in Genesis 38, 17, Judah said, Therefore, I'll send you a young God from the flock. Judah promises to send a God from the flock. But again, Tamar is ahead in this game. She wants Judah to make a pledge until the God has been sent. Tamar wanted to have an heir to her deceased husband. But she could not just do it anyhow without risking her life. And so she had to find a clean way of doing this. Genesis 38:18. He, Judah, said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Judah asked Tamar and says, What pledge shall I give you? And Tamar says, Bingo. <laughs> your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. These are the things that identified the person of Judah. These are the kind of things growing in this culture that someone would not leave their house without. It would be like Lori, with your purse, you have to get your purse. It is something that is part of your identity. And in the purse, you have your own stuff that you keep in there. And without it, you just don't feel yourself. And for Judah, these are the things that makes him who he is. And if anybody were to see these things, they're able to point them out and say, of course, that belongs to Judah. Of course, that is Lori's purse. So if these things are not part of the person of Judah, they don't hold any value to this transaction. They don't bind Judah to this transaction. We are going. We are working our way. 
We need to understand what a pledge is. A pledge is a thing that is given a security for the fulfillment of a contract or the payment of a debt and is liable to forfeiture in the event of failure to fulfill the contract. So you lose your pledge if you don't bring the promise, the payment that you promised to bring. So the synonyms of a pledge would be surety. It's a bond. It's a security. It's collateral, right? It's a guarantee. It's a deposit. It's assurance. It's an oath. And so all these things are contained in what Judah gives Tamar. And these are all in the signet ring, in the cord and the stuff. But even more in this context, these items also carry not just value, but as I said, they carry the identity and honor of the person who pledged them and could be recognized by them. So Tamar says, Judah, a promise is a comfort to a fool. <laughs> you got to give me something. You got to give me something. You got to give me something that is real and tangible. And I mean business. And after they were agreed, we are told in Genesis 38, 19, then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. So after she had slept with Judah, she changed her clothes into her widow's garments. Now Judah is not feeling very good about this transaction. He is not feeling good. I don't think Judah slept very well that night. He had to deliver himself from this bad deal because his honor is at stake. And so what did he do? He despised his friend with the God. And so we are told, Genesis 38, 20 to 23. When Judah sent the young God by his friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the man of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Anaim? But they said, There's been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the man of the place said, there's been no temple prostitute here. And so Judah had sent his friend with the God in the hope that he would exchange for his signet ring, the cord and the staff for a young God. But his friend brought very bad news. <laughs> the temple prostitute could not be found. Judah I'm sure may have had a heart attack. So Judah decided to abort the mission. To abort the mission to find this woman in the hope of keeping what little honor he had left. And he just was keeping his fingers crossed that the woman does not show up. See that Judah's friend also was some crazy friend. He was some crazy friend. Because he agreed to be made a messenger for this illicit deal. Judah's friend was a depraved friend. But he was a good friend of Judah. And he would do anything for Judah. That's what friends are for, right? <laughs> but Judah's friend 
comes back with bad news. He could not find the harlot. He brings bad news. So in verse 23, Judah says, Judah resigns any hope of ever finding the woman. So he says, let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this young God, but you did not find her. So Judah rests in the comfort that at least he tried his best to honor the deal. But this woman was the one who was dishonest and made a disappearance act. So now, Tamar is pregnant. Tamar is pregnant. Something is brewing. Verse 24. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. So three months later, boom, Brother Mike, Tamar is on CNN with breaking news. <laughs> the news come to Judah that her daughter-in-law had played the harlot, and not only that, that she was pregnant with a child by halotry. And of course, Judah is not happy about the news. And Judah, in self-righteousness, indignation, says, bring her out and let her be burned. So Judah pronounces, effectively, a death sentence on his daughter-in-law, a death by burning. Tamar has to die. And so Judah sent for her to be brought out to meet her judgment. But, verse 25, it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her, to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and stuff are these. Judah recognized them. Verse 26, and said, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Shalom. So Tamar is a very smart woman. And when she gets to Judah and the people that were gathered around them, she produced the items that she had received from Judah as a pledge. And suddenly things change. The hunter becomes the hunted. Judah is in trouble. He is the one who is guilty of impregnating his daughter-in-law. And so Judah says, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shalom. So Judah recognized the things that were in Tamar's possession as his, and he relented on his judgment. He acknowledged them as his, and Tamar was not condemned. Can you hear the gospel? Can you hear the gospel? Can you, can you hear some nuggets starting to come out? Hear the gospel. I'm getting excited. Now to the gospel. You know the story. Tamar committed halotry with a father-in-law because she wanted to raise an heir to her deceased husband, but her father-in-law purposed to have her burned and killed for the shame of her sin that she had brought to the family. Tamar willingly entered into halotry and a sin 
was found out for pregnancy cannot be hidden. So neither can your sin be covered without atonement. You cannot cover your sin without atonement. Keep following. But when it came time for Tamar to be condemned to death, she found a way out. Tamar's life is on the line. Tamar has been condemned to die. And Tamar has to die by burning. So Tamar, according to her, she is saying, Oh, wretched woman that I am, oh, wretched woman that I am, who shall deliver me? Tamar needs a deliverer. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Tamar needs to be delivered from her condemnation. But Tamar found a ransom payment. She found something to exchange for her life. She found not the God from Judah's friend, the Adulamite. For the young God could not deliver her from her situation. For all we know, it could have been from anybody who is not Judah. It could have been from anybody who is not Judah. Tamar needed to possess the things of the one who had slept with her and entered into judgment against her as to condemn her to death. Tamar needed to possess something that Judah accepted as his own. Something that would incriminate Judah beyond doubt. Tamar needed to produce for Judah that which belonged to Judah. Tamar had to produce that which belonged to Judah. That which Judah alone could give. And that which bore the identity of Judah. And that which Judah had willingly given her. And that which Judah would recognize as his. And accept as his own. And that excludes anything that could come from Judah's friend. So what does Tamar have in her hands? What does Tamar have in her hands that fits this description? Verse 18 and 19. Judah said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow, widow's garments. So Tamar has not the God in her possession. For the animal is insufficient to redeem her. The blood of bulls and gods could never take away sin, but she possesses the signet ring, the cord, and the staff of Judah. And what do those things represent? They represent the person of Judah. So that possessing them is possessing who Judah is and what Judah has. These are items of one who is king. The signet ring was used to make oaths or for sealing official documents that could not be opened. The seal was for permanence and authenticity and could not be revoked. The staff spoke to the kingship of Judah or to Judah as the shepherd of the sheep because I'm sure he had a lot of sheep. As he was going to see his ship shares. 
These all together represented the righteousness, the identity, and honor of one who is king. And when these things were presented before Judah, he had no option but to accept them. But who set Tamar free? Who set Tamar free? Because if we can answer that for Tamar, then we have a solution for you. We need to find out who actually set Tamar free. Because that's your problem. You have a Tamar problem, a halotry problem, a sin problem, and a condemnation problem. So if Tamar found her freedom from death, we need to find out who set Tamar free. And because if we find out who set Tamar free, then we have good news tonight. And to answer that, we need to answer the question, who was Judah? We have to identify who is Judah. Genesis 49. Let's go. We have to read together. Genesis 49, verses 8 to 12. Genesis 49, 8 to 12. This was Jacob pronouncing blessings on his 12 sons in Egypt. And this is what he says about Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter, listen that, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. To get the gospel from the Old Testament, we have to have a good understanding of the gospel as taught in the New Testament. But with that, we need to understand what typology is. A type. A type is a person. It's an event, an institution. It's a feast or a story in the Old Testament that prefigured or shadowed the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And because a type is a shadow, it is not going to be as exactly as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's insufficient to reveal everything there is to know about Christ and the gospel. And that is why God preached this gospel in many types and shadows. So a type is just a sketch. And there's not one-to-one resemblance between the type and the Lord Jesus Christ. The type is just a figure. Okay? The type is the figure. And we call the fulfillment of the type the antitype. The fulfillment of the type is the antitype. Judah is a type of Christ. And as we know, Jesus Christ is the conquering lion of the tribe of, of Judah. Jesus Christ is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And in Matthew 1.3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Temer. 
Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And this is what? The genealogy of Christ. And do you know who Perez is? That's the son that Tamar had with Judah. Perez is one of the twin sons of Halotri. And that's the line of the Messiah. And that's why people are getting killed. Because the Messiah has to come. By any means necessary, he has to come. If it means by Halotri, that's what is going to happen. The Messiah has to come. And by the way, the Messiah has to come. Rehab. The Messiah has to come through who? David and Bathsheba. Yeah. It's God doing it. Perez and Zerah are the two sons that Judah had with Tamar. When she played the halot. But God used the halot tree to propagate the line through which the Messiah had to come. And that is sovereignty. And that is the God of the Bible. This is the true God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is also the only God outside the Bible. So Tamar found a who in Judah, a type of Christ. Tamar finds a who to deliver her from this impending death in Judah, the very one who was supposed to condemn her. And remember, Jesus Christ is also the judge. He judges to condemnation and he judges to life. And this is why on the cross, where was Jesus crucified? He was in between. Christ is the one who divides life and death. And so he was crucified right in between. And to the one he gave life and to the one he did not save, which means he condemned. So Tamar is delivered by one, the one who was supposed to condemn her. And you have been delivered by Christ, the one who was supposed to condemn you. Because it's Christ who delivers. And it's Christ who condemns. So what did Tamar have in her hands? She possessed the righteousness of Christ. That was in Judah, the type of Christ. Let's keep working this. The scepter. Genesis 49.10. We are told the scepter or the staff shall not depart from Judah until who comes? Until Shiloh. So who is Shiloh? It's Christ. It's Christ. So Tamar has this in her possession. <laughs> she has the scepter in her possession. Tamar has the scepter of Shiloh in her hands and she can't help but be righteous. Judah gave Tamar his items willingly. And he recognized them as his. He accepted them as his own. And on that basis alone, Tamar was set free. But who set Tamar free? Jesus Christ, who willingly gave his scepter of righteousness, recognized his righteousness that was on Tamar and accepted it as his own. And it is he who set Tamar free. It's Christ who set Tamar free, not Judah. Who is Tamar? Listen to this. If Judah is a type of Christ, that makes Tamar who? It makes you 
to be tamer. Who is under condemnation? Is tamer who is under condemnation? Is tamer who has come to be condemned? The judgment of condemnation has been made on tamer. So tamer is a type of the elect, a type of the church that has gone into harlotry because of sin and has gotten in serious trouble and now needs to be redeemed desperately. Let us work some more. Tamer plays the harlotry, a type of sin, a type of a harlotry against God. And because of that, Tamer has to be condemned to die. Don't miss that. It's very important. Tamer is condemned to die. She is not just banished to go back to her parents. Judah says, I am pronouncing a death sentence by banning. So we as Tamer, our sin has essentially been playing the harlot away from God and seeking other lovers, themes that are very common in the Old Testament when you read. But in a harlotry, Tamer gets pregnant and she has to die because sin has consequences. The wages of sin is what? Is death. But also in the process of a harlotry, she was able to extract a pledge from Judah, a precious and excellent pledge. And by this pledge, she gets redeemed. Hear this again. When Judah heard that Tamar was pregnant with a child of harlotry, he commanded for her to be brought that she may be burned. Verse 38, 25. But it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and stuff are these. So Tamar brings out the items that represent the righteousness and honor of Judah. And guess what? Listen to verse 26. Verse 26 says, Judah recognized them. He recognized them as his. And he said, she is more righteous than I in as much as I did not give her to my son Shelah. Judah, not only did he recognize those items that were in Tamar's possession, he also acknowledged them as his. And on that basis alone, pronounced a statement of no condemnation on Tamar. <laughs> on the basis of the recognition of what was in the possession of Tamar, the judgment of condemnation was lifted. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who possess the things that Judah has willingly given to Tamar. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who possess the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because he sees and he recognizes his own righteousness that he has given you. Very important. The righteousness that you have to possess is the one that Christ recognizes. He has to acknowledge that righteousness as his, as Judah recognized the items that Tamar had as his. But Judah said, Tamar is more righteous than I. Tamar is more righteous than Judah. How? Both of them have played the harlotry. 
Judah in those three items possessed the righteousness of Christ. Those three items are now in Tamar's possession. And so Tamar is pronounced not guilty. She is pronounced as righteous. That is, she is justified. Tamar is justified. And what that means is, Tamar is pronounced as righteous, as someone who never sinned. That's a scandal. She has been pronounced righteous because of what? Because of the righteousness of another. Because she is possessing the things of another. The righteousness of Judah has been imputed to her. Tamar is a harlot. Tamar is a harlot. She has played the harlot, but she now possesses an alien righteousness and imputed righteousness in the things that she possessed. And because she possesses the righteousness of Judah, none shall lay a charge against her. Nobody. Nobody. And so we are told, Romans 8, 33 to 34, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against Tamar? As long as she possesses the righteousness that is represented by the things of Judah, who shall bring a charge as to condemn her? It is God who justifies. Who is he? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So no condemnation for Tamar. No charge against Tamar. Because she is in possession of the righteousness of another. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. Tamar did not talk about repentance. What matters in salvation is what do you have in your possession? And if that which you have the righteousness that God gave, is it the righteousness that Christ recognized as his? Listen to this. Judah made a pledge. Judah made a down payment on Tamar. And this pledge was enough to get Tamar into the inheritance promise of being able to raise the son that she needed to get the inheritance from Judah. And so the believer who possesses the pledge of Christ cannot be condemned. As long as you possess the pledge of Christ, you cannot be condemned as Tamar was not condemned because she possessed the pledge that she got from Judah. Listen to this. For Christ shall see to his pledge and to his down payment and he will honor it. Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14. Listen to this. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit 
is God's pledge to his people. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' pledge to his people. Judah redeemed his own possession in Tamar. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And Tamar belonged to Judah before and after the halotry. You got to get that. Judah redeemed his own possession. Christ also redeemed his own possession. We belong to Christ before and after our halotry. We belong to Christ before redemption and we belong to Christ after redemption. Before, Tamar belonged to Judah as a daughter-in-law, right? But who did not possess the righteousness of Judah? Before, she only was his daughter-in-law, but she did not possess the righteousness of Judah as was depicted in the things that she had. And so she did not have a way to get the inheritance that is in Judah. And we too were in Christ. We were in Christ by election, but we could not inherit the promises of God until Christ paid for our sins and justified us on the cross. Tamar only had the widow's clothes. But she needed more than the widow's clothes to remain with Judah and to have her son to inherit from Judah. The inheritance is coming from Judah. And Tamar needs to have a son, otherwise she is not going to get the inheritance to her son. But she too needed to possess the righteousness of Judah or the righteousness of Christ that was in the things that she received as a pledge from Judah. Let's keep going. Listen. Tamar had the widow's clothes on before she played the harlot. And she had to remove them to cover her face with a veil that she may appear to be a harlot. But pay attention to this. But as long as she was wearing the widow's clothes she was passed on as innocent. As long as she was in a widow's clothes, everybody who looked at her thought she was innocent. But being innocent was not enough for her to get the inheritance that she desperately needed in Judah until she possessed the signet ring, the cord, and the staff of Judah. So in like manner, it can be said, this is a big theological picture. Being innocent was not enough for Adam to possess the promises of God and to pass them over to us as his heirs. Adam, the first Adam, was born or was made, was created good. He was made innocent. But being innocent was not enough to get us the righteousness and the blessings of God. So just as Tamar had to fall in sin, through halotry to get the inheritance and righteousness of Judah. And so Adam also had to fall in sin that we may be redeemed not by the righteousness of Adam, but by the righteousness of Christ. The inheritance, the inheritance was not in Tamar, but in Judah. If the blessing of God was pronounced on Judah, by Jacob. So the inheritance was coming from Judah. 
the inheritance was coming through Judah. So Adam, Adam needed to be more than innocent to give you and I the righteousness that we possess in Christ. Adam could never give you a righteousness. Adam could never give you life. Impossible. Praise the Lord that Adam fell. If Adam did not fall, you don't have the righteousness of Christ. And you are still in trouble. The promises of God were never made in Adam. The promises of God were never made in the first Adam. They were always in Christ Jesus. Always. And we have to read the Bible right. We don't read the Genesis account with the eyes of Adam. We read the Genesis account with the eyes of Christ. We go to Genesis. We see Christ shadowed in the first Adam. But the fall of Adam was not a mistake. And praise the Lord that Adam fell. <laughs> Second Corinthians 1.20 for all the promises of God in who? Ah, yes. And amen. To the glory of God through us. So all the promises of God, all of them are in him. So if you want to hold to the first Adam, there's no hope for you. Adam needed to possess the righteousness of Christ if he was ever, ever to get for himself the inheritance that we now possess in Christ Jesus. Adam needed the righteousness of Christ also. So, in verse 14, I want to draw you to verse 14 of Genesis 38. We are told, we are told that Tamar removed a widow's garments, which means, as I said in this picture, the fact that she was wearing the widow's garments, that was communicating that she was innocent. So she removed her widow's garments because that's what she was always wearing. And as long as she had those on, nobody thought of her as a hallowed. Everybody saw her as an innocent person. But also, soon after her halotry, she again, in verse 19, wore back her widow's garments. So she wore back the innocence of her being a widow. But this time around, she not only is covered by her clothes of innocence. You see, now those clothes signify more than just being a widow. They are signifying innocence. She has more, she has more, she also possesses the righteousness of Christ to go with it, as represented by the signet ring, the cord, and the staff. And as long as she adorned these, no charge against him. She is innocent, she is undefiled, she is blameless. As long as she has a widow's clothes and she possesses the items from Judah, she is undefiled. She's blameless. She's innocent. Tamar is justified. Tamar is justified. And this perfect justification, this is perfect justification, was taught 
is there in the text. There is perfect justification of Tamar taught in Genesis 38, 20 and 22. 20 22. Listen to this. I hope you're going to love this. When Judah sent the young God by his friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. Verse 21. He asked the man of a place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road to Enaim? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the man of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So Judah sent his friend to look for this one who is a prostitute, but he could not find a prostitute. You gotta hear me. The friend even asked the man of a place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the rod? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute. And in verse 22, another testimony of no prostitute being found was also given. And that completed a threefold testimony of the legal status, the justified status of Tamar. Three is the number of completion. And they three times tried to find the harlot in Tamar, but they could not find one who is a prostitute in Tamar. They probably even passed her by. But there was no sin of harlotry to be found in Tamar. Why? Because Tamar had a change of clothes. And they could not find. They kept looking. And kept looking for one who looked like a prostitute. They could not find one who looked like a prostitute. Tamar had a change of clothes. So as long as you are wearing the righteous garments of Christ and you are possessing the righteousness of Christ, they shall keep looking for the hallowed in you, for the sinner in you, but the testimony is there's no hallowed to be found. No hallowed to be found. Listen to this. And so Apostle Paul would say of us who are in Christ, Colossians 1, listen to this. Colossians 1, 21 to 22. You gotta hear this, because it's almost coming to an end. It, it begins like, oh, it's gonna be long, and then suddenly, oh, it's done. <laughs> so you're gonna hear these nuggets. Praise the Lord. Colossians 1, 21 and 22, Apostle Paul says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Tamar was alienated from his father-in-law, but has now been reconciled. Tamar is alienated, has been alienated to her father-in-law. She has been alienated to her father-in-law but has now been reconciled in Christ through his death. And she has been presented before her father-in-law as holy, as blameless, and beyond reproach. That is what has happened to Tamar. Otherwise, she has to die. But Tamar walks away not condemned. 
She is blameless. She is beyond reproach. And in those days, and in that time, says the Lord, in Jeremiah 50, 20, and in those days, and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought. They shall look for the iniquity of Israel, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. <laughs> for I will pardon those whom I preserve. They shall search for the iniquity that is in you, and it shall not be found. Why? Because the Lord says, I will pardon those whom I preserve. Your sin, your halotry, your transgressions, none of them shall be found. If you are finding them, it's you who are finding them. And so people who say, you have to turn away from your sin for God to justify you, they don't understand the gospel. Your iniquity is nowhere to be found. Mike can find it, but God does not find it. I can find your sin, but God has no recollection of your sin. The only time God says in Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And this is the only time that God ever forgot something. The only time the God who knows all things, the God who is all wisdom, <laughs> he has forgotten one thing. He has forgotten our sins in Christ. God has suffered memory loss of our sins because of Christ who bore them on the cross. And that's the good news of the gospel. God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. So he has removed our transgressions. And east from west, they don't meet, they keep going. So your sins will never be found. You can find them yourself, but God is never going to raise them. But if our sins were forgotten on account of the death of Christ, in what way was the death of Christ pictured in the story of Judah and Tamar? Because it's there. Judah said that Tamar had to be banned for her sin. But when Tamar produced the righteousness of Judah, that was in her position, Judah said, she is more righteous than I. Which means what? If Tamar is more righteous than Judah, it means Judah is the one who is now guilty of Tamar's sin. Judah is now guilty of Tamar's sin Judah had taken the sin of Tamar on himself. The sin of Tamar has been imputed on Judah. It is now Judah who has to be burned. It's Judah who has to be burned in the hell of God's judgment to pay for the sin of Tamar and the substitutionary atonement. Judah has entered into the place of Tamar. 
Tamar has the righteousness of God. But the righteousness does not come free. Judah has to suffer the condemnation of the sin. And that is why Judah says, she's more righteous than I. I now carry her sin. So Christ now carries your sin. And now Christ is the one who has to be condemned on the cross for your sin. Listen to this. The sin of Tamar has been imputed on Judah. And Judah has no option but to accept it and to enter into her place of condemnation. And that is why he said, she's more righteous than I. But Judah is not banned. Judah was not banned, even though he was supposed to be banned. He was not banned as he had proposed to be done to Tamar. Why? Because he was only a type of Christ. He was only a type. Listen to this. <laughs> it is Christ who was going to be banned. It was Christ who was going to be marred in the place of Tamar and Judah. For he is the one who set Tamar free. It's Christ. It's Christ and not Judah. For Jesus is the child of Tamar who paid for the redemption of his mother and father. That's the only way that Tamar and Judah both lived. Jesus is a descendant of Tamar and Judah through Perez, their child. And if you still know the story of David and Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba, they played the harlotry, committed adultery. God sends Nathan the prophet. David and Bathsheba are supposed to die because adultery was punishable by death, according to the law. David also has killed Uriah and David is supposed to die. David does not die. Everybody else dies but David. God sends Nathan the prophet and Nathan the prophet says, your sins have been forgiven. You shall not die. But your son shall surely die. And if you go and read the story, it says, is God, like a few days later, God smote the son of David and Bathsheba, and he died. And you could say the son paid for the sins of his parents, but there's no way that an innocent child could pay for the sins of his parents. The clue is in what Nathan said. Nathan said, your son shall surely die. Which son? The son of David. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the son of David who shall surely die to pay for the sins of David in Bathsheba. That's how David in Bathsheba lived. And God was preaching his gospel in that story. The baby was a type of Christ. Exactly right. So your son shall surely die. But the redemption of David and Bathsheba was not in their son, this son. It was in the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. And blind but me as the beggar called Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus acknowledged that. He said, I'm the son of David. Praise the Lord. 
the irrevocability of Christ's righteousness. There's a teaching that you can lose salvation in the church. You can lose salvation if you don't repent enough, if you don't give enough, if you don't maintain your salvation, you lose it. Let's see if that's what God has been teaching. Judah wanted to get back his items from Tamar. And if this had happened, then Tamar would have been condemned. And for this reason, God made sure that they would not find Tamar. And because of that, Genesis 38, 23 says, you have to listen to this. Let her keep them. This is what Judah said. Let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this young God, but you did not find her. Judah said, let her keep my items. Why? <laughs> the items typified the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ cannot be revoked. The righteousness of Christ cannot be lost and cannot be exchanged for anything that is lesser. The items of Judah could not be exchanged for a God. Let her keep them because to lose the righteousness of Christ after he has willingly given it would make him a laughing stock from all the denizens of heaven. Remember what Judah said. He says, let her keep them. Why? Otherwise, we will become a laughing stock. He's talking about his glory. He's talking about his honor. Let her keep them because to take them back would bring shame to Christ. It makes Jesus a hireling and not the good shepherd of the sheep. Let her keep them because the gifts and calling of God according to Apostle Paul are irrevocable. They are without repentance. You cannot lose your salvation. If Tamar was able to keep a signet ring, a cord, and a staff, and she was not condemned, guess what? You are never going to lose your righteousness that God has given in Christ. Let her keep them because the righteousness of Christ is an everlasting righteousness. It cannot be withdrawn. It cannot, God cannot say, oh, I didn't realize you're going to make that sin. I'm going to take it back. I never saw that coming. <laughs> it cannot be revoked. It cannot be revoked because the honor of God and the honor of Christ is resting on the righteousness of Christ. It cannot be taken away. It's impossible. Tamar kept her stuff and you are keeping your righteousness. We are finishing in 30 seconds. When Judah saw his items in the possession of Tamar, he recognized them. Don't miss words like that. He recognized them and he accepted them. And because of that, he also accepted Tamar. What mattered for Tamar, what mattered for Tamar to be set free was not what good she ever did in the name of Judah. And remember, Tamar is the daughter-in-law. And in this culture, the daughter-in-law labors from five in the morning until everybody goes to bed. 
just working and working and working. And yet that counted for nothing for her redemption. What mattered for Tamar was that she had in her possession the things of Judah. Not the good meal that she cooked. Not the clothes that she once washed. And I'm sure she did all these things. And so when it comes to the righteousness of God that is in the gospel, it is not about what you do for God and what you ever do for God. For that does not count in the transaction of righteousness. What counts is what God himself has given. Judah is the one who gave his things to Tamar. You did not get righteousness from God by your doing. It's God who willingly, by his grace, gave it to you. And because he gave it by his grace, it cannot be revoked. So your repentance is not what causes you to have the righteousness of Christ. No, 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 no. You repent because you possess the righteousness of Christ. This was also taught with the Passover lamb. God instructed the children of Israel to put blood on the door lentils. And God said, when the death angel passes by, when he comes and he sees the blood, he will pass over you. So what's the issue? This is coming at night. And yet the blood of the lamb was visible to the death angel. That's all that mattered. The people who were in the house were scared to death. They worried about their sins. They worried about, but the only thing that mattered for the death angel was, was there the blood that God commanded? And if it is the blood that God commanded, guess what? It is visible to God. So as long as the blood of Christ is visible to God, that's all you need for salvation. And that is the gospel of grace. And that is the gospel of our salvation. I pray you found a solution to your Tamar problem. The Tamar problem is only solved one way, by possessing the righteousness of Christ alone. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the righteousness of Christ that he has given us we who were supposed to be condemned like Tamar, who were supposed to be burned in the fiery torments of hell, and yet in due time, you send your son to die for us, us who were the ungodly, us who were without strength, us who were enemies of God. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of Regeneration. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who teaches us the things of Christ, who shows us the righteousness of Christ, who gives us the confidence that we have been accepted fully in the beloved. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who possess the righteousness of Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We pray for your people whom we have gathered here tonight, Lord that you may bring to remembrance some of the things that we heard tonight, that their hope and only hope is in what Christ accomplished on their behalf.
and not in their goodness and not in their repentance, not in their faith. Christ in Christ alone. We pray, Lord, for the needs of your people as we still surgeon that you may keep them, keep them from stumbling. May you keep drawing them back to the cross, drawing back to Christ. Lord, we pray for your church, your church that you redeemed by your blood, the church of Christ from every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. Everyone who has the blood of Christ on them, everyone who possesses the things of Christ that you have freely given to them. Lord, we pray for them. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony that you gave us this afternoon as we were sharing the gospel downtown. We pray for those that we talk to. We pray for those who receive the tracks. We pray, Lord, that you do your work as the master farmer, as the master farmer who expects a harvest of his people, that your word will not come back to you void. Lord, may you do your work. May you give the increase to what has been planted and watered. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.